Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to What You Say Anime. I am your host, Peter. On today's episode, we will be reviewing the brand new Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli film, The Boy and the Heron. Now, I have seen a lot of anime, but one thing that I lack, in particular, is movies. So just like in an episode of Pawn Stars, when you don't know the value of something, you call in an expert. And that's what I did today. The biggest Ghibli fan and historian that I know of, we have Cosette. Thank you for joining me today. Um, would you like to introduce yourself to the people? Maybe give some of your favorite animes to get to know you a little bit. Okay. Uh, thanks for inviting me. And yes, I'm a huge Ghibli fan. I literally have a wall dedicated to Ghibli right in it's my apartment. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, I love a lot of things, but I would say I'm not a big show in action fan. So slice of life romance are definitely my jam. And obviously, obviously Studio Ghibli. I think there's only one film I haven't watched yet. Um, but I've watched pretty much every Ghibli movie. But I love Violet Evergarden, Laid Back Camp, Skipping Loafer, Kimi Tadoke, all that jazz. But Studio Ghibli has like my heart. I I cry watching all the movies. I rewatch them all the time. So that's me. <laughs> I, and I'm so glad that you could come on because I am severely lacking not only in Ghibli but movies in general. So I'm gonna need to get some of your input on some of the things that we're gonna talk about and see if we can compare and contrast with some other Ghibli films that. You have seen and some that I have seen as well. So it should be a lot of fun. Yeah. But before we dive into The Boy and the Heron, we always like to talk about our movie going experience since I guess for the last year, we've probably been able to. But a lot of times since COVID, we weren't able to go to movies and stuff like that. So we like to get a movie going experience. So tell me about your experience seeing it. How was it? Was there a bunch of people? What was the environment like over where you live? It was absolutely packed, but I kind of predicted that because where I live, there's a bunch of anime fans. And I also live in a very dense downtown city so um but it was an amazing audience because i think the last few anime films that i've watched there's been a lot of rude anime fans in the theater who talk come in late but like everybody came on time everyone sat down they were quiet there was no phones out no one was recording i don't think so it was a perfect audience i think it's because i watched an advanced screening so i think like actual ghibli fans actually came to that um so i was very pleasantly surprised. I got an amazing seat. I was a little stressed out last week because everybody else got um, early tickets and Canada was still waiting till like the last minute. So, um, but it was an incredible, incredible experience. There was a girl next to me that was like making very loud vocal reactions to the film, but I actually thought it was pretty funny. So, um, but it was perfect. It was a perfect viewing. The only thing that was a bit of a downer is that as soon as the credits rolled, like I wanted to listen to the song and see the lyrics. But unfortunately, everybody was standing up, and so I couldn't actually see the lyrics, so I actually went home and watched um, the song myself. So Right yeah. on. Yeah, I think I had a very similar... When I bought my tickets, I I was like the only, like... I would say like there was probably like 10 tickets sold, and, and where I live, it could be hit or miss. Like when I went and saw a Silent Voice when it redid it, there was like four people, but then when I saw the Kona Suba movie, it was <laughs> sold out, so like I never know what to expect. <laughs> Um, yeah. So it was sold out here as well. I also had experience with the dude next to me was making very loud grunts and moans <laughs> at certain points. I felt like he was the only person in the theater reacting to it. I'm like, my man, like, like I'm also enjoying this, but he's just like, oh, I'm like, all right. Like, I don't know what's going on in this movie that would like adequate to that type of response. But um, yeah, it's always fun to, you know, get together with people and watch anime films because it just it wasn't an experience i got to do for like two years so now i'm really happy to enjoy it and this is seeing it on imax was a hell of an experience if you have the opportunity to see this in imax i would recommend it because i think i paid 20 bucks i would have paid 50 i used a gift card so it felt free that's girl yeah. math. that's awesome that was girl math for me but that, i would say this is like the first ghibli film on imax and so i think that's what made me super excited for it and it actually was the first ghibli film i've seen in theaters because i regretted for years i didn't see the wind rises in theater because i could have and i didn't so like finally made up for it so very happy about it that's awesome so that was our movie going experience let's dive into the actual film itself the boy and the heron i think the first thing that we wanted to talk about um was the main character mojito and his arc and his journey through this story so i guess me starting out i thought it was kind of a he seemed very traditional and very, you know, like following the order. And then as the movie went along, I felt that he opened up more, especially with the Natsuko, his new mother character, and really enjoyed that progression throughout the story because he had a very, it seems to me like he had very strong ties to his mother, 
and his father maybe not as much as as somebody who's like trying to connect with like how I viewed like my dad. It didn't seem like he had that connection with like his father, like the way he did with his mother. So I guess I want to get your perspective and your thoughts on uh, Mojito as a character in general. Yeah. So like at the beginning of the film, he kind of seemed like a brat because he felt felt very standoffish with Natsuko because, you know, she's walking him to her home. But then once I actually started thinking about it, like the first scene was just so harrowing because he literally just went through trauma. Like there was a war. His mother obviously passed away. So um, I think that significant part of his life was so traumatic that it affected him. So I think I realized why he was being a brat was just because he was now forced to change his life, like move away from Tokyo, go to the suburbs, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and then change his life. Like his dad's already moved on. Yeah, that then, happened really fast. That happened really fast. They already have a kid. And then what's funny is that like, I was like, okay, Natsuko seems like a really nice person. Like, I don't understand why he's being standoffish. And then it's revealed that like, she's his aunt. Yeah. <laughs> so that was like, oh my God. Like that, the girl next to me was like, whoa. So yeah, I, but I think him as a character, I understand what he was feeling. Like he's a kid. Like what he went through sure. was so surprising and he lost his mother. And that's something that like, none of us want to go through. Um, but I started to understand him and then you can see him perk back up because he obviously met the heron and then he opened up and i think that's something that's really beautiful in the story yeah i don't know if it's like a traditional thing back in like that time in japan where you know like if i don't know they have some family traditions that i'm not necessarily familiar with but i thought it was kind of odd that like it's like his aunt is now his new mom i was like is that like a thing where like if the mom dies he marries his her sister like am i missing something like to me, I, that's what it felt like but i wasn't sure it just sounded it seemed like the norm like everyone was like yeah like you're moving in like this is your aunt you look and then like everyone was like you look so much like your mom like that was pointed out so many times I'm like this is really weird mm-hmm. it's very weird, but maybe it's normal i don't know but i was like i understand why he was a bit standoffish with her so yeah and i i did like by the end of the movie even there's points where like he was like trying to call him call her mom where she's like he kept calling her like natsuko because we watched it in sub it was like natsuko yeah. okaza like he wouldn't say just okaza he would say like natsuko okaza so like him like trying to open up to her as a mom i thought that was kind of i mean that takes a lot out of somebody to like you know you lose probably your favorite person and now you have to call somebody else your mom that took a lot of guts and seeing that transition calling her natsuko to natsuko okaza was really emotional honestly like that's a lot for like a was he sixth grader i think so yeah you know props to that sixth grader um yeah that really uh grabbed my heart when he called her called her mom but mm-hmm. also it's like he was so quiet for like a, a big chunk of the movie so then hearing him actually like because he was talking like being polite and saying thank you and whatever but all of a sudden he opened up and then he called her mom it was just very like i didn't cry but i was definitely gonna shed a tear yeah so. it hit me in the feels a little bit for sure yeah. um so I guess in terms of Ghibli MCs, how do you how do you how does Mojito compare to some of the other ones that you've seen? Mm, I'm a little biased because the thing is, I love most of the things that I read and watch is with female lead characters because I love having strong female characters. Um, but when I look at all the Ghibli films, a majority of the characters are female. Um, so if I compared him with the other male MCs, I think I like his arc. He's not my favorite, but I do like his arc. He's not my favorite MC. I, I wouldn't say that. No. Yeah, I don't think he's going to stand out like a howl or something like that. But I did enjoy him as, you know, like as an adolescent male character. I thought he was I thought he was very solid. No real <laughs> complaints. Um, diving into the movie, though, we, we begin our journey. Um, and this is sort of where I was a little bit. I should say a little bit. I was a lot of it just absolutely blown away by this film. What is how Ghibli uses fire me really stands out with like if we look at like how and how calcifer is drawn with fire it's more in a silly comedic form how they like use the blur effect in the fire in the opening scene i thought was just absolutely brilliant this is honestly one of the most beautiful like animated films i've like ever seen this was so crisp and polished in so many different ways i want to get your thoughts on not just the the opening scene for sure because i think that's a huge standout in terms of animation, but the animation quality in general in this film. 
Yeah, totally. I think the first scene is so important because it showed what trauma Mahito went through. Because as a child, because you saw that everything was blurred, faces were blurred. And like, as a child, that's how you remember trauma. Because like, that time in his life was such a blur because all he was focusing on was trying to find his mom. And so like, I understand the direction of what the, the way it looked because all you saw was fire and blurred out faces and everything was so blurred. And on, like, I felt like I was being suffocated because that's how the impact of the film. So um, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. And also because like on IMAX, like every single backdrop, every single character, it's meticulously painted. Like there's no CGI. There might've been like one or two CGI. Oh, maybe a little bit, but nothing that stood out. Yeah, I think like the one scene I remember is like him climbing up the stairs like in the first one second, but um, it was beautiful. I think it was probably the most beautiful film that I've seen. And I think like this really goes to show like everything that Miyazaki has done over the years, this is like the pinnacle of it. Like, and this was technically going to be his final film. So this did feel like it was going to be his goodbye. But the animation, the back, the, the paintings were so gorgeous. Like I want that on my wall. Yeah. <laughs> I just, something. It's just so beautiful. So it's definitely in the top tier of um, Ghibli films, the way it looks. Yeah. I, to, I mean, in terms of like animation, in terms of the movies I've seen, like, I was like, is this better animated than like 3.0 plus 1.0? I thought it was like that level of quality. Like I was just blown away by there's moments of the opening scene with the fire, the blur effects that they use with the smoke mixed in with like there's a lot of times studios use CG for fire. This was mm-hmm. not CG fire and you could tell and I just love that to some of the more acrylic and watercolored like scenes that they've used in this. There's like a specific scene where he goes to fight fight the heron in like the morning and the sun's like coming up and the heron's coming straight at him from the, the point of view of the star looking at the sun. And it was such a unique style because it looked kind of like screen like they put like a how do I describe this? It feels like they put like a screen over it, so it was a little blurred, but in a different way than like the fire. I was just like, Jesus, like they are going all out on this. It was Oh my god. And then like the movements. Drawing movements is so hard and how they just everything looks so crisp. Cause a lot of times, like what I've seen in anime is like the backgrounds will move with the characters while they're moving. There's yeah. scenes where just the background is absolutely still and the characters are just moving by themselves. And so it doesn't give the illusion of like blurring it with the movement. It's just crisp clean movement i gotta give it props it was so good it was so it was, good even felt like the hair was gonna fly at me like, yeah so right good. if you had like the 40 glasses on or something that you're watching <laughs> one of those movies like oh yeah <sighs> like even with the sound like i don't, I don't know if we want to talk about sound right now but I oh think yeah, this, yeah yeah the most amazing sound i've heard in a ghibli film but i don't know if it's because it's it was made for imax and imax maybe might have enhanced it but like the flapping of the heron I felt like it was in the room with me. Mm-hmm. It was just amazing. No, it's the same way when I saw like a uh, pro mayor on IMAX where mm-hmm. I'm like, this film was made for IMAX where if you watch this on like your TV or iPad or something like that, it's probably not going to hit the same, but I'm basing it off of the quality that I saw at the time. And yeah, like the sound effects, like the flapping of the wings, I felt it was like right behind my ear. Like I was like, Oh my God, is there a bird behind me? I was like, this is, yeah, oh, there's so, um, when he was like drinking water out of like the tea little glass decal thing, I could hear every gulp of water he was drinking. I was like, my God, whoever, whoever is the sound director of this, give them a blank check because that was uh, chef's kiss. You know, like that scene where they're cutting that fish and you can actually hear like the guts. That was kind of gross, but yeah, it was gross, but It's beautiful, just absolutely beautiful. And then the music itself. Um, there's so many moments in the OST where I was there's quiet moments where you know, you, I, I don't know if it was like a f- an open, uh, not an oboe, like a clarinet or something like that. And it's just like calm music with like when he's like in, entering the tower to more of the intense scenes with like the parakeet king, where it's a little bit more high action, a little bit more movement, a little bit more emotions going on in the scenes where it was raised and had a little bit of an orchestra feel. How do you feel about the like the OST in general and the score? Well, I'll say this right now. I'm 
as much as I am a Ghibli film fanatic, I'm also a Joe Hisaishi fan. He is my favorite composer of all time. Like I'm literally seeing the concert in a few months. I would say this is not my favorite OST from him, but I think the way that he, his approach to doing the music in this film was, it made sense for the film because it was, it felt very, it's more subdued, I think, compared to a lot of OSTs he's done. Cause you're, we're very used to like his crescendos and the loud mm-hmm. booms, like in Spirit Away, when you saw like, the spa house and like you hear this big boom and the music is very grandiose but this in this film i think he took a more subdued approach and it's more quiet i think it's because mahito himself is a quiet person so i think seeing mahito's journey where he's quiet then all of a sudden he starts to open up i think that's the direction of how the music went um because i actually listened to the soundtrack last night and this morning and i bawled my eyes out last night actually (laughs) but i was listening i i don't know what happened i started listening to it and i started crying but I just, when you hear the soundtrack from the beginning to end, you can actually hear Mahito's journey and how he just opened up. And I, I think it's so beautiful what Joe Azeshi did. So what, yeah. is, what is your favorite score or OSC from him? Oh, that's such a, that's like asking me my favorite Ghibli film, Pete. <laughs> What's your favorite kid? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I think Spirit Away is definitely one that like makes me, it's one of my favorites. I think Spirit Away is definitely what the top tier entirely i think from beginning to end that that's the soundtrack where i'm like i just sit there like when i listen to it i'm like transported in another world but um there's a lot of ghibli soundtracks that i love so much and there's a lot of themes that he's written that are so significant and the theme that he wrote for this movie like if you look at the soundtrack i think it's called ask me why but there's like at least four or five different versions of it and it starts off as really quiet and then i think the last version is the one i cried at but it's about his mom so um but yeah i would say Spirit Away is my favorite, but my answer might change tomorrow. So gotcha. no one count to it. <laughs> right on, right on. So one of the questions that you brought up that I want to get into is for the English version of this film, it's called The Boy and the Heron. The Japanese like translation is How Do You Live? And they even say that in the film. They say, How do you live? Yeah. And I thought this was an interesting question because with these two titles, when and this is where I kind of want to get a little off track i felt like this was two movies in one where i thought the first half of the movie was the boy and the heron and then the second part of it was how do you live because mm-hmm. the whole part to me was of the in the tower was deciding on how he wants to live he, he's making that the decisions of his life and to me it was something special with how they handled this and maybe before i devolve into this but i guess i want to get your thoughts on like the better fit would you rather be how do you live or do you prefer the boy and the heron Mm -hmm. i think the boy and the heron is is simple terms Mm -hmm. of what the film's about because in a way it's enemies to i wouldn't say lovers but enemies to besties yeah yeah it's enemies to besties and like that's a chunk of the film but it's not the entire film so i think how do you live does span Cause like, it doesn't answer the question, how do you live? It's more like asking us and asking Mahito, Mahito, how does he choose to live? And I thought it was interesting. It was about like when we looked, we saw the book and, he, and it said, how do you live? And then I actually looked it up. It actually is a real book. Oh, <laughs> but interesting. It's, yeah. But it has nothing to do with this movie. <laughs> so, oh, okay. yeah. Um, so I, I do feel the way that you feel where like, it does feel like two halves because the heron wasn't really there the second half of the film. Like he was there. But he also wasn't there. He was like so. a different person. It was like, you know, like the mask is on versus the mask is off type of thing. Yeah. Like who he was as a character. Yeah. Yeah. But I think also how do you live kind of fits through the entire film because Mahito is at this point in his life where he was stagnant. He didn't want to move forward because he'd gone through, he's gone through this trauma and he didn't want to move forward. Like he was, he didn't want to go to school. He didn't want to like connect with his new mom. And so he was kind of stagnant and he just didn't know how to move past it and live. So I think like that title makes sense for the entire movie to me. But then one hair does, you know, a chunk of the film. So I, I personally am on team. How do you live? I think it makes more sense to me in that way. Um, but I think the boy and hair probably would attract more North American audiences. I agree. Yeah, I, I do think that title translates a little bit better with that. The how do you live? I thought there was a lot. And correct me if I'm wrong, because you've seen way more than I have. But from what I've seen, in a lot of Miyazaki films, there's obviously a theme or a message. Where like Princess Mononoke, it could be something as simple as like stop destroying the environment. And 
<laughs> Grave of the Fireflies, war is bad. Like, it, it, it's pretty simple. With this, I felt like the message and theming was more than just one thing. And I wanted to pick your brain a little bit because we see it early in the film with sort of like a war era. They move out to the country. His dad works as, at a factory or owns the factory. We find out later that the factory produces, um, it looks like the glass or the shields for like the fighter pilots or the fighter yeah. jets for, I'm assuming it's World War II. So this is like either pre-World War II or currently going on in World War II. And I know that Miyazaki likes to put in stuff about war, but more importantly, like aviation. He's a huge like aviation fan. So mm-hmm. I thought that message was pretty clear. I, I should say not message, but like he likes to always throw in those themes. Did you catch that at all? And then did you have anything running through your mind when you saw that at all? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of common themes with a lot of Ghibli films. I think for the most part, the whole protecting the earth thing, that's a theme that's in pretty much every, if not all Ghibli films like yeah. that I can think of. Um, in terms of the war theme, yeah, like I can see, like when you look at like *Howl's Moving Castle*, it was very anti-war as well. Um, I wouldn't say this movie focused a lot on war. I think it focused more on the people affected by war, yes. which is a lot like *Grave of the Fireflies*. I don't know if you ever watched that one yet, but <laughs> that one's dramatic. Very. Um, but it reminded me of *Grave of the Fireflies*, where it's more about the people affected by war. So I think it's still anti-war, where it's like it's about the people that were affected by it and how do they move forward, mm-hmm. um, which is another theme that a lot of Ghibli films have like up from Poppy Hills about um, post-war and how a family's moving on without their father. Um, so I think it's a very common theme in Ghibli films. Right on. I guess my, my favorite part of like theming and like symbolism and all this with, with this was the 13 blocks um, with his uncle. So uh, how this I interpreted it as is each block represented like a generation and you build on top of each other to create this world. Mahito is tasked with stacking the blocks, but not only stacking the blocks, he's given a piece himself. So he's like the next piece of stacking it. And you see how it's different shape. They're like each generation is not the same, but we're living in the same world. We create this world. So it's how do you want to create the next generation? And that's what I was taking from it. And I just thought how that was represented was absolutely brilliant i thought it was absolutely genius that like at some points we're just we're we're together but we're about to tip over and i feel like that's like that in life where like i feel like we're at a breaking point at certain points and at any moment it can topple over but sometimes we hold on and then we create the next generation or we create the next piece of this world and it's up to us how we decide on how we stack it and that's Mm -hmm. what really stuck out to me i don't know if you had a specific like symbolism or a theme or message that really stuck with you with this movie but to me that's what was like yes that was absolutely brilliant to me Mm -hmm. i think i forgot what the quote was at the end of the movie but i think it was like um we don't have much time this is gonna last a day or something like those worlds gonna last a day so for me the theme for me was like life's too short so you got to choose how you're gonna live Mm -hmm. like that's how i interpret it but like the whole like stacking blocks i didn't even think about that like that kind of went over my head oh, so i will okay. i will say like this movie it's one of the ones that went a bit over my head where i feel like i need to watch it another few times to really like pick and pick the pick its brains i guess um because that part went over my head because i was like ooh, cool blocks but i was also like amazed by the cinematography that i was like oh i should actually be really thinking about this but um yeah i think there's a lot because there's another one that um, with the pelicans talking about how you know they they weren't necessarily wanting to eat the oh my god what they called the the nawa nawas something like oh, this wara wara or War, Nara, War, the wara wars yeah like things. the the dying pelican was like you know like we we didn't want to do this necessarily like there's no fish in the sea mm-hmm. i wasn't sure if that was like a thing with like overfishing and stuff because like yeah if you've ever seen like akira like akira has a clear message about like japanese society in the 80s but how like Mm -hmm. we interpret it is completely different than how the japanese interpret it this was Mm -hmm. one where i was like is this something that's specifically targeted for 
like a Japanese audience or is there something that I can relate to? And I know overfishing is like a huge thing. And that's also like part of like the ecosystem and world uh, messaging that Miyazaki likes to put in his films. But that was like another one where like, he's not putting this in for just like, there's no, there's a specific reason why the the dying Pelican is saying these words. And that's always something I try to like take from these things. Like, why is this scene in the movie? What is its purpose? I don't know, but now I'm starting to think about sea turtles. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know in sea turtles, they hatch their eggs and the little kids have to like go to the ocean and that That's what I initially thought like the oh my god. And I'm the war <laughs> the, oh my god. I gotta look it up. But like yeah, those like, characters <laughs> were like, oh, these are like sea turtles, you know, like the Wara Waras. Okay, they're called Wara. Like, you know, for every hundred sea turtles that get hatched, like three survive or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of felt like the circle of life, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, there's there's so many like other messages that I like. I I think it could be because like I think a lot of times in like anime and more like Japanese media and stuff with like you know like uh, what's it called like the the birth rates are declining and stuff like that and like is that a message about that? Like, I don't know. It's like, there's so many things that just were like, my mind was going at like a hundred miles an hour. I was watching this. I was like, what are yeah. you trying to say? What, what, what does this mean? Like, Oh my God. There were so many like other, I was just say so many, but there was a few other moments that were just like the, the purpose of this scene. What, what is it trying to tell me? One of them that I don't get at all was sort of the birthing room scene with like the, the mummy wraps. <laughs> I was gonna ask you about that. Like, like that scene means something. I don't know what it means though. Like, I was, ho- dang I, it, I was hoping you could tell me. <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, I was so good. I just sat there. I'm like, okay, cool. He's gonna go save her, and then she says she hates him. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I can see that maybe she hates him because he was so like off putting to her. So I can see that, but that was like really rough. Like, I just didn't understand the birthday. I don't really understand why she was there. Like, yeah. it's just like. Like, I just, that's the part where I'm, like, confused on. Um, that's why I feel like I need to watch it again. Yeah, the tower itself was, like, you know, in the beginning, the first part of the movie, it felt like a very traditional Japanese countryside movie. And then the second half is, like, Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland, Willy Wonka. Like, what's yeah. going on in this tower where I'm just trying to interpret, like, what do the parakeets mean? Like... Obviously, okay. there's there's a bird theme they're going on. We have the pelicans, we have the heron, and we have the parakeets. Like, there's something bird related with this. It's like somebody, please tell me. Like, I don't know. I need to like warn people if you're scared of birds, you might not like this movie. Oh, speaking of like animation, when like the birds were flying through the tower into the real world. Oh my god, that oh, was that was so oh, good. That was so cool. But um, yeah, the tower part, I will say, it did go over my head. And at some points I felt like, is there just too many ideas in this film? Like, is there just too much storytelling? Like, is it the world building? Mm-hmm. Is it the, but then I was, I was also like, maybe I just need to watch this film a few more times to actually understand what his vision was. So. Man, I really hate to compare this movie to Evangelion, but I'm going to, cause Mojito, <laughs> Mojito really reminded me of Shinji and sort of like his battles with his i was just say his father but like that was like yeah. a father mother thing too and then this is like a father mother thing too but like evangelion has so many things in the story where like you need to like deep dive and research and understand like what this symbolism meant because there's so much in that that's what this felt movie felt to me where like i need somebody to write a 30 minute video essay explaining <laughs> to me what all of this meant because there's there's a reason why scenes are in this movie that I just don't get. And I just, please, somebody tell me. So um, yeah. was there anything that went over your head that I didn't touch on? Because I feel like there was a lot in this movie. I literally think it's just the second half. And what's funny is that when I think of all the Ghibli films that I've watched, they all have been like very straightforward. Like, yes. I under- this is the one where it's like, I need to think about this. Like, this is the one where I'm like scratching my head. That's, it's very similar to like, when I walked out watching everything everywhere all at once, I walked out of the theater and I was like, I need to think about this because that's the kind of film this is. Um, but it really was the second half that went over my head. I don't understand the birds. Um, the whole uncle thing was a bit odd. And like, where, where did this like tower come from? You know, who is the heron? That's the one thing that I was like, 
who is this guy? Because if it was a bird, and then slowly you see like these eyes come in from the mouth. Yeah. And I was like, who is like who he's obviously he's not a real bird. So who is he? That went yeah. over my head. And I didn't know if it was explained in the I don't think it was. I, I viewed him as like a guide in life or something like that, like something along those lines where like a cricket. <laughs> I don't know, like you know, like sometimes like the people you follow give you bad advice or you yeah. do something bad because of the things around you, but then you know, like when they show their true colors or something along those lines where they'll lead you to the path that you want to take or like the path you're willing to take with either like that person or people in general. And that's sort of like what I interpreted from it, but that might also be way too deep and it might not even be that complicated. It might just be a bird. Like, that's the yeah. thing. Like, yeah, I don't know. He I've, character. Yeah. You know, like, I watched I watched Totoro like for the first time like a month ago and it was like so easy to understand. Yeah. And I was just like and then I watched this, I'm like, hold on, this isn't Totoro. <laughs> like <laughs> No, what is this? But also like in Totoro, we're not asking who Totoro is either. So I think maybe he's just like a Totoro. Like we don't we don't know where Totoro came from, we don't know who he is, he's just there. So yeah. that's probably this heron guy is, but um he was really ugly. <laughs> yeah, he was. Oh, I, I mean, I love like the design of like how ugly he was, but it was it was a really good ugly design. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think he was hilarious though. I I, I really loved their relationship from the like the way that it grew, and I think that one scene where like they're trying to <laughs> fix the hole in the beak. Mm-hmm. That was and he great. Was, like, he was like, "I'm gonna leave now," and then he's like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> and then they had to fix it again. Like I think it's just their their companionship was probably the funniest thing in the movie and i'm trying to think like if there's any other ghibli films where that was this funny Mm -hmm. i can't think i mean i've laughed a few times in some ghibli films but i think this is the funniest one yeah it was it was an interesting mix because i felt like not only was this the one of the darker ghibli films um yeah but also one of the funnier ones too that i saw i was like yeah the theater was cracking up quite a bit the scenes were like they were clubbing the parakeets while they were trying to escape. Like the the our, our theater was cracking up. I thought that was a great scene. I had a lot of fun. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't. It, it's funny you say this is the darkest because when I walked out of the theater, I was like, this actually was pretty dark compared to most Ghibli films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's just like it was like another thing with like you know when I was watching Totoro their mom is in the hospital, but at the end of the movie, like, it's fine. Like, she, she's not going to die or anything. And then this is, like, she's dead within the first three minutes or something like that. It's like, okay, we're going down this path. Okay, here we go. Uh, yeah, so, wanted to talk about, was there any particular scenes in general that stood out to you, whether it was how good the food looked, how good the animation was, how good the sound was, something along those lines that were like, didn't necessarily deal with like the themes or topics or just like, you thought that this was an awesome scene in general. Hmm. Well, food definitely. Cause I always talk about food, (laughs) but um, I think one thing that Ghibli is very known for is the food they have in their movies. Like it's like, everyone loves the food scenes. And um, there was even like a whole exhibit about the food in the movies at Ghibli park, which is really wicked cool. I couldn't take any photos, but anyways, so in this film, there is food at the beginning of the movie, like for the first half. And what was so weird is that there, it didn't have the Ghibli gloss on it. Like all the food he was eating looked very drab, plain. There was no like hyper focus on it. Even like that scene with um, Kiriko and she, she made him like some sort of stew or something. Yeah, it was like meat and potatoes or something with some bread. Yeah. Even that looked drab. So I was sitting in the theater being like, this is really weird because all Ghibli food looks amazing and then all of a sudden he sits down with Kimi yep. and all she does and you see like as soon as the screen turns into the toast and she's cutting the toast and you know, all of a sudden you can see the ghibli shine of the food where like she's cutting the toast the butter looked like the best butter i've seen in life that was, that was a lot of butter, butter she put on too <laughs> <laughs> was a lot of butter and like the jam was glistening and then all of a sudden i was like okay so the food has a huge significant part of the film because Mahito's life was just very drab because he didn't really care about anything. Then all of a sudden he meets this girl who is apparently his mother, but he didn't know it. But he, she reminded him of the bread that his mom used to make. And all of a sudden his life just like brightened up a little more. So like the jam was like glistening. He was smiling. And I thought that that was such a significant part of the film because 
we're so used to like Ghibli food looking so amazing. All of a sudden you can see how the way that the food looks also helped kind of carry the story as well. So that was something that I noticed. No, for sure. Uh, with the food, because, you know, in the beginning with the meals that they're eating, since it is like either pre-war or current war, they, they reference it with like the cigarettes and stuff where like they can't get some of the things that they're used to. Like cigarettes are so hard to come by. She asks like if they're smoking tobacco it's like we can't get tobacco i'm smoking on like random leaf and so like when he's eating in the beginning of the film it's like rice and basic food like nothing like glamorous because the resources are so hard to get in that time and then the most delicious thing that we see i must put delicious in quotation marks was when he was cutting open the fish not not when the guts spilled out but um it it looked like like a big salmon sushi like it's about to be like like it's like oh they don't eat really good like salmon or something like that and then he cuts a little bit too much and all the guts start pouring out i was like oh wow but i thought like that the fish scene before the pre-guts was like oh yeah now we're cooking yeah yeah but it was hilarious (laughs) just all the guts came out i was i loved it it was graphic it was graphic graph probably the most graphic i've seen in the ghibli film with guts coming out so um (laughs) it's a little gross it was, it was a little excessive. Some of the like, oh, man, I really like the scene where they were racing up the tower against the parakeet king, and mm-hmm. he's like knocking down all the floors. I thought how that was just animated with the motion was like really well done. I thought that stood out. And then the scene after where he's sort of like sneaking around and they're playing like tag behind like the shadows. I really enjoyed how that was like laid out because there's this vast world that the parakeets thought was heaven, but it was really just you know, like a conservator- conservatory type a deal. And I don't know, man, it was like, there's, I'm trying to think of like very specific parts because the movie was so unique and different in this like Alice in Wonderland style like environment where I think that's one thing that really stood out to me. And one thing I really enjoyed was not knowing what was around the corner because of yeah this tower like what's going on and i i know we touched on like a little bit before but it was a little i think it was a little confusing at parts a little convoluted a little distorted but i'm just trying to think in my mind like what that parakeet society meant and i my mind keeps going back to that i honestly i don't understand because we had the pelicans and like that golden gate like what was that yeah and then you know, like they couldn't go. Th- I-, I thought he was like dying. Like that was like, you know, you're going through the pearly gates or whatever. Yeah. I thought like if he went through the gates, he was going to die. But it's more of like a taboo to go through it because mm-hmm. then he meets like the other Kiriko and she saves him from the pelicans. Well, they couldn't eat him, but like sort of mauling at him. And that's like another thing. I'm like, what does this scene represent? Like, I, I don't get it. Oh, man. Yeah. She did that like fire thing and mm. she like circled them. I was like, is this a blessing? Like yeah. I, I was trying to understand what was going on. So Yeah, because like how I what like that version of Kiriko, because they stated earlier that like they've the housemaids have been working for the family for 60 years. And so this is like a younger version of herself helping the family still, like in a different way. So that's how I interpreted that. But Hmm. I'm trying to think of yeah. it, like more to it. Yeah, and there even like the little dolls she had of like the other women, and she's like, "Don't touch them." But I was like, "If he touches them, are they going to come to life?" Like I just, I just started thinking about like what was the significance of all this. Yeah, you know? that was right through my mind too because there's, there's like seven of them, and they kind of had like their <laughs> own personalities. I was like, "Is this like the seven dwarves?" Like, <laughs> what? What is that? What I'm supposed to interpret this as? There's just a yeah. lot. That, that's why I, I guess. My biggest takeaway from this movie was there's a lot going on. Um, probably need to rewatch this. I want to watch it in dub for sure. Yeah, same. But if anybody is listening to this episode and finds like a video or like a video essay about this, I would love to hear from it because I need to dive in more to it. I think is there anything else in particular that you would like to talk about? Um, one of the main themes in this movie, which isn't a lot of Julie films, is just about mother's love, and just not even just mothers, but even just female just female people who are taking care of kids because i feel like even like with ponyo 
um, even like Kiki's Delivery Service, A Mother's Love is something that's so important because I think a lot of Ghibli films are about kids and mm-hmm. about who is guardi- guard- guardians, who is guarding them. And so I saw that through, because obviously his mom passed away, but then Natsuko played this significant mother to him. And then also all the grannies did. And then Kiriko did. Like, I thought that was such a beautiful theme throughout the movie, but it's also something that spans across a lot of Ghibli films. And I thought the grannies were my personal favorite. They were just like the funniest part of the movie. Um, I just love the way that they were taking care of him. Yeah. When we got introduced to the grannies, I thought that based off their like how they were like circling around the suitcase, I thought that they might might be something supernatural. I don't know. They're giving me a little creepy vibe, but by the end of it, I thought they were all fantastic. The way that they were like, you know, they might be like eighty plus, but when they go looking for trouble, they got their brooms ready and they're they're out mm-hmm. there looking like they're out there fighting for this family. I was like, I love them. I love them a lot. That was yeah. great. I thought it was weird that he's never met them because if they're part of the family i'm surprised that he's never met them or anything but he also is pretty young yeah because i think they mentioned that like uh natsuko met him when he was younger so it could be where like maybe they did meet but it was so like i don't remember stuff when i was like two you know like maybe they met when they were two and that memory is blank in their head or something along those mm-hmm. lines um yeah i i think hmm Anything else from you that you want to get to? Otherwise, we can get to like our final thoughts. Yeah, we can get to our final thoughts. I do want to know if you would put the boy and the heron in your Ghibli starter pack because I'm referencing to a past episode. Ah, love that. Um, <laughs> would I put this in my Ghibli starter pack? I don't think so. Uh, I think, like you said before, that this was supposed to be his last work. And to me, it felt like that. It felt like accumulation of a lot of things coming together where if he wanted to go out and it sounds like this is not his last movie, but like if he wanted to, I thought this was a great movie to go out to. I think there's a lot to digest. I think if there's anything missing from previous movies that he didn't get to do, he got to do it in this one. It felt, it just felt like a, I don't want to say a magnum opus. I don't want to say like, this is like his best work because I don't think this is his best work that I've seen. But if someone told me that this was their favorite Ghibli film, I think I would get it. Especially if you like deep diving into things. And man, I really don't want to make this comparison, but I'm going to. So my favorite director is like Satoshi Kon. And he he can dive into, you know, you can watch Perfect Blue and then you can watch Millennium Actress. And you can see the range on sort of what he can do in his storytelling. And I think Miyazaki is the same. Where, like, you can write something like Totoro, where it is meant for kids. It's, you know, it, it's a nice sibling imagination when you're a child going through this. And then you can write something like this, where there's so many elements to it. If he wants to go that route, he's willing to be, you know, this mastercraft of storytelling. And if he wants to throw in a thousand different themes and symbolism, I think. You should. And he did. And that's like one thing that I love about these types of films in general, whether it's Miyazaki or anybody else who you, you take a deep dive into something and then really go with it and really analyze it and really want to like make it make it your own. And that's why I felt I felt like the, this is if he, everything I felt it's like Miyazaki's like, yeah, I want to do this. And but in terms of a starter pack, no, I think you should watch like everything else before this. And that's not to say that this this movie is bad. I think this movie is amazing. I just think Mm -hmm. like you, you, you know, like the themes of like, like you said before, um, motherly characters, guardian characters about children. That's a theme throughout his films. You should watch that and understand those themes coming from him and then realize that it's coming through on this movie as well. But you need to see those other movies grasp that. So for the starter pack, I would say no, but what about you? Would you? Uh, I wouldn't, only because it's it's a lot. It's a lot of storytelling. I think it shows his strengths, and it shows what he can do. But I think for a starter pack, you should see some of the earlier ones. Like I, I feel like this is probably a step above Spirit Away in terms of like world building and just like the fantasy elements. I think this is really out there. It's, it's yeah, I would agree. It's out, it's out there compared to like all his other films, because I, I put Ghibli films in like two separate groups. 
they have their like fantasy movies, very like fantastical where like, and it's most of everybody's favorites, like Spirit Away, House Moon Castle. But then there's also the slice of life, more realistic ones. But this one falls obviously in the fantasy category, but I feel like it's way up there in terms of fantasy that I feel like a lot of people, it might be a lot for some people starting off. Yeah. So I wouldn't say a starter pack, but I think it, it was a gift for me as like mm-hmm. someone who's watched almost all of them. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't put in a starter pack either. Yeah. I think you should watch like Howl's first and understand like how yeah. he does like the different worlds with like the turning the knob and then going through the door type of thing. And then come to this because this is like a door with like 35 knobs. And yeah. 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 yeah I actually fun. thought about when they like looked at all the doors. I was like, that reminds me of Howl's. And then like with the gate, it actually reminded me of Susan A. But um, like just the doors remind me of Howl. There's a lot of significance in all these and throughout the movie that reminded me of other movies. Yeah, no, so. absolutely. And I like that. That I really like that symbolism of the doors with. You know, I'm going through this door because this is my path. And then, you know, like, um, Hemi's going through her door because that's her path. And it's like, we're not all going through the same door. Uh, we mm-hmm. might, we might end up in the same spot, but we're all going through our, our journeys differently. And I just, yeah. it's just so good. It was beautiful. Um, yeah. Wrapping that into final thoughts. So this is where it'll be interesting. Cause I, since I'm going to give you your time since you've seen so much, but, um, I'll rattle it off first. I love movies that when I'm watching a scene, I want to know what's the meaning of this for? What, what is this? What is this text for? Why are they using this dialogue? What's the symbolism between these things? The 13 stones really stood out to me. I, I really love that. That's one thing that is going to stick with me for a very long time with when somebody asks for like symbolism in anime, like that, that to me is one of the best things I've ever seen in anime with terms of symbolism, um, stuff like that. I whether I, I think I think we, the ball takeaway from both of us is we need to watch this movie again. <laughs> we yeah. need to dive more. This is not something where if you watch it, if you watch this once and you understood everything, you must you're a PhD at MIT or something like that. Like <laughs> you are galaxy brain level smart because I think I understood maybe half of it if I'm lucky. But I think that's the beauty of it. And it's the same thing I hate to do. Oh, man, I really hate to do this comparison. It's the same thing when I watched Evangelion. The first time I watched it, I'm like, I did not get this at all. I did some research. I watched it again. I'm like, I get this way more and I love it. So I think this is a movie where the second time around, if I watch it, I feel like I'm gonna really going to enjoy it. The only really negative thing was I thought this was kind of long. um, A little over two hours. I felt like at some points it... I think some of the parts in the first half could have been cut. It it just felt like it dragged just a little bit in the beginning where I was way more at the edge of my seat, but I understand that's, that's sort of the buildup for what's the cub. I just felt at some points, I'm just like, are we going to get to the next part? Because I feel like we've been here for a minute. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, like the dream scene with like his sword breaking and then him waking up and then the sword was real, but then he touched it and broke almost like, I don't know. That's probably like another thing. I was like, I bet at the time I didn't get it, but I feel like if I watched again, maybe there's something to it. But that's the scene. Like, I feel like you maybe could have cut that, but I'm also, I could be completely wrong. But uh, animation, one of the best animated movies I've ever seen in my life. I put this up there with like 3.0 plus 1.0. Like, I put it up there. It's that was S tier quality. It was insane. Uh, the score was great. Seeing it in IMAX was worth every penny. Um, I think I'm gonna put this somewhere in the line the lines of like my second or third favorite Ghibli film ever. I don't Ooh. think it's as good as Spirited Away. Spirited Away is my number one, but I think this is like on par with me with like Howls. Um, for like different reasons, Howls I felt that has like a different message and I think a little easier to understand. But like, I love world building. I love the symbolism. I love the themes, and they did all of that. So, uh, at the end of the day, I think I'm like I gave this a nine. Like I really really like this movie what are your thoughts take all the time you need <laughs> i've watched almost every so the only film i have not finished is tales of rc which is like out the bottom rank of most ghibli rankings um i i don't know if i would put it at my top because the way that i don't have rankings like number one number two i put my ghibli films in like tiers sure so my top tiers are the ones that like 
mean the most to me and I, I'm, a, I'm emotionally attached. They just mean something very significant to me and I cry all the time watching them. So I don't think The Boy in the Heron hits that point. What are those point. movies though that do hit? For sure, Howl's Moving Castle because I connect to Sophie like the most. Um, I would say Whisper of the Heart is definitely up there. Princess Mononoke and Nausicaa because of the strong female presence. Um, obviously, did I say Spirit? I did say Spirit really, probably. Uh, how, yeah, I don't know. Just a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, I should probably I'll, post, yeah. I'll post my tier list somewhere because I think someone on Twitter was arguing with me about a ranking that I had about Ghibli films. But um, so yeah, I wouldn't put it at the top ranking, but my top ranking is mostly with films that I rewatch all the time. So they get there when I rewatch it a million times and all of a sudden I develop this like emotional attachment to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I'll put it in the nine out of 10 range. Hey, okay, let's go. The problem I have is just, it did the story. The story was a bit everywhere. So I think that's the thing where like, I need to watch this at least one or two more times, which I'm definitely doing this month. I'm watching it at least two more times this month. So um, right now it's sitting at a nine. It might float a little bit lower might float a little bit higher after my second or third viewing um but i really enjoyed it. i think it was very very beautiful it's one that like makes me think and i think that's something that's very beautiful about a lot of films um because it's not confusing it's just it makes you think and There's like i walked, yeah like i walked home from the theater and i was just thinking about it the whole time um so yeah i would put it at the nine out of ten range for now um, but it's definitely not in my top tier because those are like my babies. But they're all my babies in some way. There's only three films that are like at my bottom that like I never rewatch ever again. Well, so. when you're Ghibli, it's it's hard to be bad. I would say that. <laughs> so two dines from us. So obviously we're big fans. Uh, let me know uh, what you think of it. Let Cosette know whether it's on our Discord or on Twitter or whatever or in the comments below. Let us know what you thought of the movie. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If I messed up on something and you inter or you interpreted something differently, I would love to hear your thoughts on that because there's so much that goes into it that, I mean, it's like, uh, it's just so good. Like there's so much to talk <laughs> about. Like, I feel like we missed half of the things that I wanted to talk about, but you know, I'll watch it again and I'll be like, Oh, this scene from that part, I completely <laughs> missed it. Like it's only one of those moments where it's like, Yes, we need it. Oh, so yeah. good. So, I can, like, comment on YouTube every time I remember something that I should have said. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to comment on YouTube and just leave extra notes. It's just going to be like, I have 300 comments on my YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because it went off and saw the movie again. Okay, it's right on. But yeah, I mean, obviously, we're huge fans. So, if you're a huge fan, let us know. But uh, thank you so much for joining me. This was a wonderful conversation. I'm glad that I could pick your brain a little bit on some some of the Ghibli films. And I'm glad that you could come and bring your input on everything that is Ghibli. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to give a little bit of expertise. Cause I, I don't watch, I haven't watched a lot of anime like you have when it comes to Ghibli. <laughs> yeah. I'm right up there. Exactly. You know? And that's why we got you. So thank you so much. Uh, and I want to say thank you. And if you want to support us, the best way to do so is to like, comment, subscribe, leave a review on whatever platform you are watching or listening to us on. But until then we will see you next time. Peace.